Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Wei Cheng Lin. Dr. Lin is an associate professor of art history and Chinese art and architecture at the University of Chicago. He's an expert in the art history of medieval China, particularly Buddhist art and architecture and China's funerary practices through history. He's also the author of Building a Sacred Mountain, the Buddhist architecture of China's Mount Wutai. In this conversation, he teaches me about the emergence and growth of Buddhism in medieval China through the case study of one of the oldest and most prominent sacred Buddhist sites in the whole of the Middle Kingdom. Without further ado, my name is Sebastian Weatherby, and this is The Tell. Dr. Lin, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. There's a quote from your book from Ge Hong. All mountains, whether larger or smaller, have gods and spirits. If the mountain is large, the god is great. If the mountain is small, the god is minor. And I wanted to start by asking what the mountain represents in medieval China. Well, obviously the quote uh, was from the Han Dynasty earlier than mm-hmm. the medieval. Yeah, so, but I think uh, the... The, the mountain worship started actually very early on. Yeah. As early as the uh, earliest written history that we could, we could find. Yeah. There's so already. That's already there. Yeah. And yeah. then we also saw the, uh, the depiction, uh, kind of very rudimentary kind of depiction of mountains, mm-hmm. uh, in bronzes, for example. Uh, yeah. So from very early on. So, uh, how it started, we don't really know. Uh, but the, the, the Chinese civilization started from the central plain mm-hmm. where you don't really have, you know, it's actually pretty flat terrain you don't really have uh kind of uh very prominent mountains around but then you go away from there then begin to see the mountains to the west to the north especially yeah so so i think you know the mountains in antiquity in china was more kind of uh, uh kind of very prominent uh topographical features or or burial you know so yeah. beyond that point it became kind of all mythical and then it's really unknown territory. so it's like the edge kind of so, some kind of, yeah some some something like that yeah so yeah. so in order to 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 go beyond then you know you have to encounter other creatures you know the uh, probably mm-hmm. the un- unknown stuff so i think that's probably you know the uh, the uh, the early kind of imagination mm-hmm. of, of mountains and also, there's a, some, some mythical mountains to the western extreme of China's uh, territory, and there's some others to the east extreme of the, the China's territory. So they are beyond the territory of of China proper. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think you know the I think you are right. The mountains are more or less located on the edge or close to the edge of of the the territory that has been known or yeah. kind of being governed under the the emperor. And then there also would there be sort of a, a heavenly association as well, just due to the height. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, I also mentioned about that in my book early on. For example, mm-hmm. when the first emperor was a uh, first emperor, kind of after conquering all the uh, the neighboring states, and then he declared himself as emperor. Yeah. Ascended to the throne, and the next thing that he did was to go visit all the prominent mountains. And then kind of the, uh, uh, kind of make announcement to the heaven that now huh. I am the, uh, the emperor. So I'm, I'm, I'm under you, but, uh, the, at the same time, I'm kind of in, in the middle between the heaven and earth. I am the, the person who governs the, the land. So, so I think that's kind of the gesture. And then this kind of the, uh, the ritual, uh, was practiced all the way down to, uh, the last, last dynasty. And that seems like it echoes this idea that the mountain is also a place to interact with, with heaven or with the, 
the divine with the supernatural? Yeah. So, for example, you know, the, the most prominent mountains throughout Chinese history uh, are known as the Five March Mountain. So that, you know, M-A-R-C-H, March Mountain. So they yeah. are kind of the, uh, the most important. And then they are located uh, in four direct, uh, the cardinal direction. Yeah. East, yeah. east, west, north, south, and one in the center. So, yes, you know, yeah, like I, like the, the quote that you read, uh, they are the kind of the largest mountains that, that are considered as landmark. And then because mm-hmm. they are so tall and then have extraordinary topographical features. Yeah. So oftentimes when the emperor, when, when he, uh, became the emperor, you know, also in the following, uh, Chinese dynasties, every emperor ascend, after ascend, ascended to the throne, uh, will try to make an effort mm-hmm. to go to at least these kind of March mountains to yeah. make a, uh, kind of the, uh, uh, kind of announce that, you know, now from now on, I am the person who governs. Could you, uh, introduce what Mount Wutai is to people who have, uh, probably never mm-hmm. heard of it? Okay. Yeah. Sure. So. The, the origin origin of the, the religion Buddhism was in in, in ancient India. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, and then the uh, from the early sutra texts, there were records about uh, mountains already. Mm-hmm. But those mountains were in the uh, kind of imagination of Buddhist view of a universe. Yeah. You know, for example, there's one in Meadow uh, that's, that's so tall that it would support all the heavens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there's a there's a records about that. But in, in the indigenous culture of India, the mountain worship was not so, so developed. Yeah. Whereas in China, prior to the arrival of Buddhism, yeah, it was already well established. It was well established yeah. already. So Mount Wutai was recognized by, by Buddhists mm-hmm. as the first sacred mountain of Buddhism in China. So, and so that's kind of very interesting that, you know, China always considered itself as a center of the world. So when you yeah. say China, uh, in Chinese Zhongguo, literally meaning, uh, is a, is a nation in the middle of everything, mm-hmm. right? So once, uh, Buddhism was transmitted to China, yeah. they realized China was not at the center. India was at the center. Right, right, right. Suddenly the religion that's coming in and taking over, that's yeah, right, it, yeah. it localizes the center somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So from the second century all the way to, uh, the fifth centuries, uh, CE, during those times, a lot of pilgrims, uh, they really went through a lot of difficulties to reach India, mm-hmm. just they, because they want to see the 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 land uh, where the, the religion uh, started. They want yeah. to see the the monuments and places where the Buddha visited. But then, you know, all of a sudden, around the fifth and sixth century, uh, the recognition of a Chinese mountain being the the dwelling place mm-hmm. of a Bodhisattva uh, kind of started. Right, and so, this is sort of alongside uh, the emergence of the tongue. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's right before then. Okay, you know, there's yeah. a, already a very eager and also earnest search mm-hmm. for a presence, a Buddhist presence in China. Yeah, right? yeah. And then it just it just happened one day. There's a sutra that was uh, that was that was translated into Chinese. Uh, it's called Huayan Sutra. And then in in a sutra, uh, there's a chapter that talks about the different dwelling places of of uh, uh, bodhisattvas and one of them is located in the northeast of India right so think about China's it's located in to the in, to the northeast of India and then there is a mountain that's very tall and high and then the uh, the the peak of which it was always covered by by, by snow yeah. all year round yeah right so Chinese Buddhists kind kind of uh, thought that you know the uh, uh, the the mountain designated in the Sutra could have been in China 
So then, then they kind of try to find it. And then eventually in the approximate region, uh, to the kind of in the, in the northeast of China. Yeah. Uh, was recognized and then identified as a place where a lot of people, uh, when they would visit the mountain, uh, kind of saw the uh, kind of appearance of the Bodhisattva described yeah. in the yeah. sutra. And, uh, with a respect to, to mountains that so much in the tradition of China, of China. So people begin to make the linkage. Yeah. That the, the vision of the Bodhisattva with, with kind of the, uh, the, the God or, you know, the, uh, the divine yeah. of the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Was there a lot of tension between Buddhism and uh, traditional Chinese religions as it sort of yes. crept in? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, of course, you know, the, uh, the Bodhisattva for Chinese was considered as foreign, right? So it's a mm-hmm. foreign deity all of a sudden. It was, was there. But, and then the, in the early text about the sacred mountain, Mamantu type, there was a lot of episodes talking about the Bodhisattva in the disguise of a person or a different kind of kind of uh, characters yeah. uh, ran into the, the mountain deity yeah, and tried to convert the deities the mountain <laughs> deities into <laughs> Buddhist. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. And then or you know the uh, uh so or there's a another another episode where uh there's a there's a lo- local god who was who was uh, kind of ill to some or, or kind of similar kind of situation. Yeah. And then Bodhisattva just gave gave him something to eat and then after eating that and then a local god was healed. So it's a kind of you begin to see how kind of kind of the tension and relationship between mm-hmm. Buddhism and then the local deities begin to to uh, form a confrontation kind of relationship yeah, into something that's that's an integration yeah. of the local religion. And also Buddhism was considered as kind of large religion, you know, mm-hmm. you know the, the the religion that could be anywhere. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the, lo- yeah. the local gods recognize in only in a local area. So it's kind of minor religions. So it's kind of the, the typical history that happened between the, the, the major and then the local or minor religion components that kind of uh, encountering each other and eventually kind of the, uh, how the, lo- the, the local religion were taken over by the major religion. So, so, and then that's precisely what happened yeah. amongst the time. Yeah. When you started writing your book, what was your goal initially? What did you What did you want out of it? Yeah, I am an an art historian mm-hmm. uh, who who works on uh, architecture a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Mount Wutai was so important precisely because we we just described the first sacred mountain yeah. of of Buddhism in China, and then the mountain provides an access to the religion locally in China. So Chinese people, Chinese uh, the the uh, the Buddhist. Uh, didn't need to go all the way to to India, yeah. Uh, in in order to find the presence of the Buddhist divine, right? And actually, during the Tang Dynasty, a lot of Indians, Buddh- uh, Buddh- Buddhists, went all the way to China to visit Mount Wutai. Oh, really? In order wow. to see the yeah. presence. Of, you know, so so you can can see how how yeah. how that worked. You know? Yeah, there's like a shifting center, that's right, that's or right, like yeah. a, a a new uh, pole. That's right. Yeah. So China all of a sudden becomes part of this. Uh, about the Buddhist world and it can also be considered as a second center or one of the right, centers, yeah, right? Yeah. So Buddhist, uh, the sacred mountain was, was not only being recorded in a text, but mm-hmm. also depicted in many different forms. And then the majority of those, uh, uh representations that we still have yeah, are in yeah. the caves in, inside the murals. So there's a, uh, mm-hmm. for example, there's a site to the western side of China. It's called Dunhuang. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of caves in there. And then the, uh, several murals in those caves were representation of the sacred mountain. 
Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. So you have the sacred mountain being depicted, and then the bodhisattva flying above the mountain. So uh, I actually, before knowing about the physical mountain itself, I started studying those representations. I, I did a paper about that, and eventually I realized that you know the importance of the, the mountain. Yeah. So I began. Yeah. I began to kind of became curious about how this uh, process happened. Yeah. In which a local mountain or a, a natural terrain. Yeah. In 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 China, were converted yeah, or reconfigured. In, yeah. Yeah, and built yeah. into a sacred mountain. Yeah. So so the book is called Building a Sacred Mountain, and then um, in the in the book. I try to trace the major, major temples, mm-hmm. uh, the construction projects taking place throughout the Tang Dynasty as a way to, to not only just kind of uh, convert uh, the nature of the mountain, but also reconfigure the way uh, people understood uh, the mountain itself. So, What would people see when they actually go today mm-hmm. to the mountain? So, so the, uh, the central Tang Dynasty, Tang Dynasty was in the, the Chang'an area, today is Shanxi province. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, uh, Mount Wutai, uh, versus the capital would, would be to the e- uh, northeast of, of, of the capital, uh, the, uh, in, in Tang territory. Uh, but today, if you want to go to Mount Wutai, you can take a train, high speed train. Yeah. Go to, uh, the Shanxi province and, and then hire, or, you know, uh, just hire a cab driver and it will take you over there. Yeah. And I think there's a public transportation for you to go all the way to the kind of mountain gate. Yeah. Of yeah. The, 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 the sacred mountain. And what's that experience like once you, once you get there? What do you, what do you see? Uh, today, unfortunately, it has been, has become more t- tourist. Right. So, uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, if you really kind of just spend time going through the, uh, the mountain of Tailero means, uh, the five terraces, the mountain of five terraces, uh-huh. or yeah. five mountain peaks. Yeah. So, so the, uh, rather than one single mountain, mountain of Tailero actually refers to a cluster mm-hmm. of mountains, right? So, and then, so, so they have the prominent five kind of peaks. And then, yeah, the five peaks will, so, will come together to kind of encircle a, 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 mount, a mountain area. And that's what we call mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so today, if you go over there, you can travel from, from peak to peak. Yeah. Right. And then at, at the center of which is a, uh, is a town mm-hmm. where from the Tang Dynasty was kind of the, the, the center of the five peaks. Uh, of course, all the buildings have been rebuilt already mm-hmm. in the yeah. past probably, uh, six or seven hundred years. Uh, so you don't really see any traces of the oh, okay. dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's only, uh, uh, two buildings that still, uh, still standing from, you know, the, uh, uh, that have the, the origin in Tang Dynasty. Yeah. Otherwise, most of the buildings have been rebuilt already. But still you can see, you know, how the buildings and then the mountain terrain and then, you know, the, uh, uh, also the views. You know, so for example, if you go to the the central town of the mountain range, yeah, look around, you can see five peaks. Right, so so kind of the the uh the the topographical situation, the mountain terrain that you can see today, very much still the same during the Tang Dynasty. They were seeing exactly what you can see today. What did the evolution of of what the Buddhists were were building look like? If initially. Did it, did it start with monasteries? Did it start with monasticism? Or did that sort of emerge over time? From the records that we know, you know, if you take uh, the Mount Tuta as an example, early mm-hmm. on probably there were only kind of small temples kind of built by individual monks. For example, you know, there's a records about 
you know, the, a few a few monks who had had a vision in their dreams. Yeah, you know, yeah. seeing this mountain, they kind of felt compelled. To, yeah, they feel to kind of uh, yeah, they feel kind of compelled to go over there and start the practice there, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but when the the mountains fame began to grow, mm-hmm. and then the 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 the, the cult of Mount Tai was spread, yeah. uh, and eventually uh, the mountain actually received that of imperial sp- sponsorship. Yeah, I was going to ask about that mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, whether it was something that that. Imperial authority approved of or not? Whether it was yeah. So eventually, eventually, the uh, for example, you know, do, uh, close to the the end of the seventh century, uh, Mount Tuzel was recognized by the by by the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, based on the the records that we have, the the capital city was the most important Buddhist center. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just because other Buddhists they came from the west for eventually arrive, you know, the capital and then. Uh, the ruling family, most of them were very devout Buddhists. Mm-hmm. So in the capital, there's a there's a quarter a section where the foreign monks will, will welcome and and then will be will be accommodated. Was was there a period of of more resistance before that? Um, yeah, yeah. I think Tang Dan is actually you know you come Tang Dan is is really the prime of Buddhism. Yeah, I would say yeah. yeah. And once you pass Tang Dynasty, Buddhism was still very important, but just the the kind of sponsorship. The kind of the uh, uh, the prominence in in all the the, uh, the the dimension of the the, the society began to to wind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So over time, it became part of Chinese culture, but at the same time, it never really regained the importance like what what mm, you were seeing right. in the Tang Dynasty. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so during Tang Dynasty, then the Mount Wutai was recognized outside the capital capital city, the most important Buddhist center. Right. So so from Right before the Tang Dynasty, so the uh, the sixth century, early on sixth century, there's a, a few records about uh, the individual monks uh, living in the in the mountain, and then get to the end of seventh century, it became the most important Buddhist site outside capital city. So it's only about like, 150 years. So it kind of blew up fairly quickly. That's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah, from those sort of initial early temples that sort of individual monks were questing out and and starting on their own. What did it look like once it sort of became more institutional, I mm. guess? Well, in terms of form, the tradition, architect tradition itself was quite consistent, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, throughout, throughout the entire medieval period. So from representation, visual representation, you know, depicting in a mirror, for example, in, in, in the cave site I mentioned earlier, or even, uh, there's a, a text that described the ideal monastery. Mm, uh, yeah. 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 Th- those texts, Actually, when if you read it, it's very similar to how imperial city in you know, or padded, uh, palatial built uh, complex was, was built. And so. was there a strong monastic tradition before Buddhism's arrival? Did it did it sort of have to uh, sort of create its own, uh, or was it borrowing from older? Uh, uh, that is actually pretty. Uh, it's not an easy easy question to answer answer just because we don't really have. Mm, yeah. uh, a lot of records about how, what kind of, uh, religious buildings that were built for, for indigenous religions for, yeah. for Chinese yeah. prior to the arrival of Buddhism. And actually, for example, you know, we all know in China in, in the past, uh, when we, when you say indigenous Chinese religion, we oftentimes refer to, uh, Taoism. Right. right? So, and Taoism, yes, uh, the traces and also the ideas, philosophy, and kind of basic concepts of Taoism mm-hmm. uh, were already there prior to the arrival of Buddhism. 
Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but uh, but Taoism, for example, you know, Taoism for a long time didn't really use image. You know, so uh, there's a, a sense of presence, but not a visual representation, right? Hmm. So, but 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 once Buddhism arrived with with the uh, the worship of icons, yeah, and then Tao, yeah. Taoism began to to uh, to produce their own icons. So so this these two religions they actually kind of uh, uh, mutually kind of uh, influence each other. Uh, so when you say the um, uh, what kind of the the architectural or religious uh, precedents that can lend some kind of uh, uh, a model for Buddhism, not I would say actually not a whole lot, right? Mm, so yeah. uh, so uh, and that's the reason why you know when when you read the description of the the Buddhist monastic. Uh, complex. Uh, when you when you read out details about that, and then they turn around, you read the description of the uh, residential buildings, mm-hmm. uh, the the imperial or palatial complex. You see a lot of similarities, hmm. right? So yeah. so the difference is, is really not the architectural complex itself; is how the space is being used, right? So and sometimes right. even that spatial hi- hierarchy. Will be will be uh, similar as well, you know. So uh, the the place of complex in a monastic complex, like uh, we just discussed earlier, you know, the uh, one is emperor, the other one is Buddha, and then the, uh, either of the space space was 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 uh, kind of designed to revolve around the most important presence of, yeah, of the, yeah. uh, the the uh, one is emperor, the other one is is, is the Buddha, and. Within the monasteries, that center point would that be an icon or a relic or? or yeah, when, when you say the as a relics or icons, we are we are talking about the material material uh, kind of uh, uh, substantiation of the presence. Of yeah. The, in my book, I first talked about presence. Mm-hmm. At first, the presence was felt. Yeah. But not yeah. not a, a, an actual thing, you know. So right. So people had to add, bring and add the thing. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. so the moment of encountering of the sacred presence was so. So tra- transitory. Yeah, you know, someone yeah. someone saw it and then it was gone. Uh, by the end of the, uh, the the seventh century, then the first image of the Manjusri riding a lion. You know, could you talk about them for a moment mm-hmm. for people who haven't heard of them? Before? Yeah, so Bodhisattva uh, Manjusri is actually the residing deity of yeah. Mount Otai, yeah. right? So, and then based on the uh, the, the the sutra. He lived in this mountain and can be visited, can, and then he can show himself or it, it different uh, disguises to the visitors or mm-hmm. to believers, right? So, uh, but, but the, the, the most typical, uh, the image or description of his presence is always he is seated on his holy animal, mm-hmm. which is a lion. And then, so the first, uh, iconic representation in actual material form of Manjus writing a lion, based on record, uh, was made toward the end of the seventh century, right? Wow! So from yeah. there, then you begin to see, you know, uh, visitor went over there not only just to 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 search for this presence, mm-hmm. but then you you actually have an icon there, and, and and so there's already been like a century or more of that's right, a time that's, between sort of yeah. the original uh-huh, presence, uh-huh. sort of the sense of place and sacredness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it's actually kind of yeah, pre- substantiated yes. physically. Yeah. And then also the uh, the legend of the first image was also quite telling uh, because the vision of the Bodhisattva was spotted by a lot of people, mm-hmm. but they never really have a center w- with an icon to worship that image. So uh, the monks in the monastery decided they want to make, a, make an icon. 
based on the the uh, all the visions people have, and then uh, they hire a very skillful sculptor to do it. Mm-hmm. But the sculptor, you know, kept doing it, you know, making the uh, representation of the divine, but he couldn't really finish it. In every time uh, when he was about to finish it, and then the uh, the, the sculpture were, were cracked. Yeah. So yeah. and then he reported to the uh, the monk and say, I just I couldn't do it. I need to have the presence of the, the Bodhisattva in order to do it. Yeah, and eventually, yeah. yes, you know, the Bodhisattva miraculously appeared in front of the sculptor, and then the first image was made. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's actually the first image that was made after the miraculous presence, you know, in the vision of the sculptor, right? So uh, you can you can find the same story in 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 the, in the West as well, you know, in the biblical stories. Yeah, you know, yeah. So the Jesus, uh, the the mother and child image was made precisely with this kind of the vision. Yeah, right. So and you know, actually bringing up this sort of comparison, it's something that I thought about too with the uh, the opening of the book when you discuss the meaning of a mountain in, mm-hmm. in, in Chinese history, thinking about Mount Olympus, Mount Sinai, That's right, yes. mountains even in like Native American mm-hmm. religious mm-hmm. belief systems. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's very cool that it's such a, you know, cross-cultural sort of motif yes. of the, the meeting point of yeah. uh, the, what would you say, the... The sacred and the profane. That's right. Like that's that. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, for this project, it's actually pretty fun for me, just because um, the more I I did it, the better I understand this is not a, a, a sing- singular practice in right. you know, yeah. the world. Yeah. You can you can find so many parallels, and then it's a part of the kind of the pattern, mm-hmm. uh, religious pattern or mode uh, that happened in all, almost all the yeah uh, the major yeah. religions, right? So and it's also it was really cool to think about for me while reading this the way the arrival of Buddhism shifted the structures of society. And and I was thinking first about uh, when you discuss the way that it kind of moved China to be a new pole of mm-hmm. a Buddhist mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. Um, and not solely centered on India anymore. Um, well, I guess, I guess a, a question is, do we, do we have any records of, of the pilgrimages people would have taken uh, to the mountain? You mean uh, the, the pilgrimage route? Yeah, where, yeah. Do we know like how far people might have come from? Yeah, you know, when you get to the Tang Dynasty, uh, especially after the the the, first, the legendary first icon was made. Yeah. Right. So so you can you can you can see you know how how this story or how this narrative of Sacred Mountain was made. You know, once yeah. that once you have the image, this uh, Sacred Mountain code really spread. Yeah. You know, internationally. So then you begin to see the records of the pilgrim pilgrims from not only India. Also from Tibet, also wow. from Korea, and also Japan, and then uh, and then once they came over there, what you know, of course they want to, uh, you know, to experience the the sacred presence themselves, yeah, in person, yeah. Uh, if they can really have that that religious experience, at least they can go to the the uh, different mountains to to uh, not mountain the different monasteries in the mountain, yeah, yeah. to worship the uh, the icons. Yeah. Right. So you have the legendary first icon, and then all other temples, Mount Tai, all make their icons uh, by copying after the first one. So, and then the visitor after they went over there, uh, something there's a couple of things they can bring back. One is um, there's a, some painters will be there. Mm-hmm. You could, could find painters uh, will make image of the sacred mountain. Yeah. 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 And they can bring it back and they can worship that, that representation. Yeah. You know, and then that's kind of a, a indirect way yeah. for you to connect to the sacred mountain. And, la- a- and then later on, we'll begin to see the, uh, uh, 
the Bodhisattva Manjushri writing a lion, mm-hmm. the sculpture, this kind of particular iconographic, iconographic form, yeah, yeah. popping up in different places. It's crazy to think about the scale of that. I mean, I think people are used to thinking about the, especially the early Middle Ages and, and late antiquity as being so local by comparison to the world we live in today. And mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and in many ways that was true, but uh, like from, from, say, northern India to Korea is more than the distance of the continental United States from <laughs> east to west. And, <laughs> and that's the range from which people are converging on this one center yeah, that's right yeah. that's that's really amazing to think about yeah yeah so uh and then the uh i th- i think you know the um uh, we'll talk about buddhism at large yeah right? so and then the buddhism in china or in east asia uh belongs to the the uh the kind of the school of, of original buddhism called mahayana mm-hmm. buddhism uh versus theravadin buddhism in the south and the southeast asia yeah right so yeah uh, so and how that how how that how that happened, you know? So how Buddhism was transmitted over land, and then uh, it could be uh, accepted and worshipped, and then practiced throughout entire East Asia. And then I think Sacred Mountain Court was part of that, right? So it draws uh, all the believers to the mountain, and they begin to see the network formed, yeah. right? So and even you know, so uh, as a Japanese monks, several of them. There's a records about their visit to Mount Utai. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they converse uh, the, uh, with the, uh, the monks at Mount Utai. And then, uh, for example, there's a, a Tentai sect. Uh, in, J- in Japan, it's called Tentai. So it's a very important sect. The uh, Mount Utai also has the uh, comparable sects in, in there. So they came over there and then they have, they have dialogues and then, they, and then eventually they brought back some of the sutras and the image of the Bodhisattva. Yeah. Right. So, and that started the the second mountain court in 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 Japan as well. Wow. Yeah. And then Japanese Buddhist uh, Buddhists continue to come over to China throughout yeah. the entire uh, entire duration of Tang Dynasty. When when Buddhism began to take hold in China, did it rewrite anything about sort of the the norms and the social uh, rules that society operated under? I'm thinking of how, for instance. Um, when, when Christianity spread through pagan Europe, it came with certain prescriptions for how and where someone could worship, what sorts of marriages were acceptable. It, it, it changed the structure of day-to-day life for people. Did Buddhism have any kind of impact of that kind? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the, uh, uh, part, you know, the, other than Buddhism, uh, and earlier we, we discussed that indeed indigenous Chinese uh, religion would be Taoism. Yeah. And Taoism actually, uh, alongside with Buddhism, also developed throughout the Tang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, uh, uh, imperial core oftentimes being pulled by, you know, <laughs> sort of a tension between the two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So very powerful, uh, uh, Buddhist monks and very powerful Taoist monks all worked at the, uh, the, the, the court to try to influence, uh, the emperor. So both are very, very clear, you know, the, uh, medieval China, uh, and then when we say Tang Dynasty, basically, mm-hmm. you know, squarely in the, uh, the medieval time in China. So, uh, religion was very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Once yeah. it passed this time, then, you know, get to the Song Dynasty. Then, the, you know, the, we have the Neo Confucianism. And then you have the, this uh, kind of the, uh, the mixture of, uh, religion and Confucianism together. Mm-hmm. So, but that, 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 that was not there yet in, in Tang Dynasty. So religion was so important. And then, but that's also a time when we say, uh, during Tang Dynasty, Buddhism became more Chinese. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. oftentimes the term that we use is called sinicization. Yeah. So yeah. Buddhism was sinicized into a very Chinese form, right? So uh, even you know you can't really recognize that recognize you know Chinese Buddhism from an Indian Buddhist perspective. But Buddhism actually uh, brought in a lot of other things early on, you know, from second century CE all the way to, you know, before uh, uh, the seventh centuries CE, before Tang Dan started, uh, many things happened, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, you know, the uh, in Buddhism, uh, it's a great sense of uh, encouraging you to become monks, to, to, to trade the Buddha's path. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. to emulate yourself uh, after Buddha's career, mm-hmm. right? So become a monk and then and take the Bodhisattva vow, and then practice in a Buddhist way, right? So, uh, and what do you do? Uh, you have to leave home, just like Buddha. Yeah, uh, leave home yeah. and you go to go to the uh, the, uh, the the Buddhist order and, mm-hmm. and then and practice that that way. And then the uh, the mountain uh, temples were great places for those purposes, mm-hmm. right? So. Uh, but then, you know, you have this conflict from Buddhist perspective and Chinese kind of, kind of traditional perspective. In Chinese traditional perspective, leaving home is not right. You're supposed to be in home right, to right. serve your parents. Right. right? Huh. So, uh, so this, so this, you have this kind of the, uh, the basic kind of moral value yeah, conflict. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and when Buddhism was really strong in, in China, uh, the Buddhist order continued to draw in the population mm-hmm. into into the religion, right? So even to a point where the state feel uncomfortable, and then also there's a lot of uh, uh, ways the Chinese traditional kind of views need to compromise with yeah. this new religion, yeah. right? So, uh, but when we get to Tang Dynasty, in, like I say, it really become part of the uh, the culture itself already, yeah. So, but you still see the com- conflict, yeah, yeah. And then another thing, for example, you know, the ritual worship with mm-hmm. the icons, uh, like I say. Prior to Buddhist arrival, there was no iconic worship, right? So, and then later on, even for ancestral worship, in in the prior prior to Buddhist arrival, uh, ancestral worship was so essential, right? That's yeah, kind of yeah. the way uh, the family, uh, kind of extensive fam- family family can be can be tied together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they begin to see, you know, the iconic worship also got into that. Right. Well. So the so. the way familial worship happens kind of uh, gets imprinted by the way that it's done in Buddhism. That's right. Yeah. So that's so really I think, interesting. There's there's an interesting sort of way in which I think I think a lot of historians and anthropologists and, and people in those sorts of disciplines, they expect to find something like social inequality expressed through material wealth as mm-hmm. a kind of its primary expression mm-hmm. and is it is it wrong to say that that buddhism even you know in in medieval china and in you know late antiquity like in the tang dynasty had an element of asceticism an attempt at detachment from luxury from from mm-hmm. i think the question itself can be answered from from different angles to become a monk you have to uh denounce all your attachment to to the the secular world, but they still they still wielded a lot of influence at the court right, and, yeah. and and in society, and they were this center point for pilgrimage. So yeah, it's it's interesting the way on the one hand they're eschewing the material inequality, but they're still wielding they're still wielding power and influence and and a status that doesn't come from gold. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It it, it is a uh, uh, ironic to some extent. You can see the con- contradiction, mm-hmm. you know, because you come in two different t- 
two different directions. One is about being religious. You have to kind of renounce all the belongings and all your attachment to the world. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, the Buddhist order was actually quite rich. Mm, right, yeah, so because yeah. throughout donations, all that, right? So, and then uh, the sutra itself also encouraged that. You know, oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So, so if you if you donate to build a temple building, yeah, or donate to have an image made, yeah, it's yeah. gonna increase your karma, mm-hmm. your good karma. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's gonna go to go to your future, right? So, uh, then you you have a better reincarnation in in your, in your next life, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, and a lot of Buddhists actually would do that. Uh, voluntarily just kind of to accrue more merits. And then in Buddhism, there's a mechanism where you can actually transfer those merits to your deceased parents. You know, oh. and that huh. worked really well for Chinese because, you know, we, we have very strong kind of sense of ancestral worship. You yeah. Know, we always want yeah. to honor the, the deceased yeah. parents, grandparents, or, or your ancestors. So the current, uh, Buddhists in the Tang Dynasty would try very hard to do that. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. So donating money to the older itself and then to build, you know, the new buildings and then even to gild the, uh, the old icons and make new yeah. icons, right? So, so those things are very material, uh, but, the, but the, uh, the, the Buddhist order didn't really reject them because they need to survive. They need to be competitive at court. We do see this kind of the, uh, uh, the two sides, but, but at the same time, you know, the piety, you know, we say, so, so your religious piety mm-hmm. cannot be shown. Well, yes, you can be, you can show that with your behavior. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of times the material means becomes quite important if I actually donate something. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. I turn my, turn, turn my huh. kind of invisible kind of religious mind into something that can be substantiated in the material mm-hmm. form. Yeah. So like you say, gold, gold is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then the gildings, when you see the, the, the gold guild found a, a bronze statue, uh, everything is shiny or that, yeah. you probably say, well, that's probably too excessive, <laughs> right? But at the same time, in you know, Sutra, there's a lot of stories about, you know, the, the, the Buddha image actually kind of emit, uh, lights over, mm-hmm. you know, in different directions. Yeah. And guild will give you that kind of quality. Yeah. And kind of dim light, you have a torch and then go get close to the, the image. You begin to see a shimmering quality. Yeah. 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 That quality enlivens the, the, the image as well. Yeah. Uh, even icon itself is a, is a material form, right? So yeah. if you really want to go extreme with the essential, uh, kind of, kind of the uh, detachment from materiality. Mm-hmm. We don't need the, 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 the images at all. But the truth is not, not that. Uh, in Sutra, oftentimes, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the canon will give you an impression that if you want to donate, you know, it's, it, it will help you if you donate to make an image with any material or any size, as long yeah. as that's from your heart. Then you'll benefit from that, that, that deed, right? But in reality, you can see the competition. Among the Buddhists, you want to make the largest one, more you know, with the best material. Yeah, Seems like yeah. you know the uh, when you make uh, a, a class of Buddha, then you know the, the merit that you can you can get will be proportionally large. So 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 I think you know the uh, uh, the religion itself also, uh, and I think it's any kind of religion uh, mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really talk about religions, uh, even practice, without touching on material materials substantiation. Yeah, of the yeah. religion itself. Is the mountain still an active force in Buddhism today? Yeah, it's still still very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the sectarian nature has evolved over time. 
And then if you compare the sects that are very active right now as Mountain Tai with those during Tang Dynasty, mm-hmm. you know, so during Tang Dynasty, it's more Mahayanist. Uh-huh. Uh, but right now, it's more Tibetan Buddhist. So oh, you see, that's right, yeah. So, and it happened around the like, Yuan Dynasty, and then Tibetans kind of uh, began to take over the entire mountains. And, uh, and then there's a long story about that. You know, in, the, in their own canons, they also have a description about their sacred mountain in the northeast. And then they also identify uh, Mount Tai with it, <laughs> right? So in Tibetan Buddhism, also the Bodhisattva were reincarnated into the very important teacher or, or Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, they are reincarnated bodhis- Bodhisattva, right? So, and then uh, Mount Tai is, is a domicile of, of uh, the, uh, uh, the Bodhisattva Manjusri. So it, they, they, the uh, Tibetan Buddhists saw this connection from the yeah, dynasty yeah. onwards and then slowly kind of take over the entire uh, sacred mountain. It's cool to see sort of this like sequence of, of people, of, of new traditions moving in, but with the same sort of intuition for there being a sacredness to the yes. mountain and then, yeah. and then, uh, Building themselves into the existing landscape. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's so it's so essential right now for our studies about sacred mountains. You are looking at one layer, historical layer. Yeah, of the yeah, mountain. you're looking at layer upon layer, layer upon layers, and then how yeah. see how the layers. Sometimes the 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 interconnectedness is quite important. Mm-hmm. You know, different mm-hmm. layers they actually you know kind of uh, have the uh, the interactions. Right, it's not just like sort of a hard line. That's right, that's right, that's thing. right. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a super They're all striped. knit together. That's right, they're knit together yeah. to some yeah. extent, yeah. So I think today, even in my teaching, my book doesn't really involve so much. It's how we will be able to, uh, you know, the uh, not to use the late 19th century colonial framework yeah. to understand yeah. an, an East Asian religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not not any more mythical. It still yeah. has very strong sense of material aspect. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's not. It's all, Buddhism is not all about spiritual you know, quality. Yeah. Now it's like I say, you know, even the monks they they are very just like one of us, right? Yeah. So they have, yeah. They they are enjoying the, you know all the all the, all the secular conveniences, all that stuff, right? So so I think that's also quite important. You know, the stories that we try to tell in a book. Uh, like like what I do in my book, it's not just to tell a story about the religion only. Mm-hmm. It's how this religion is part of the entire entire history of medieval China, right? So yeah. So I I really hope people can begin to see from these directions. Yeah. You know yeah. to see how this religion was a living tradition, was a practical religion. For example, you know the uh, uh, the relic worship and Buddhism uh, back to probably fifty seventy years ago. Uh, or separately discussed because hmm. Western refuse Westerners refuse to, ah, to recognize yeah. that. It's like you know the boot, the the relics that they are so nitty gritty, so so corporeal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, it's and, not yeah. not like ethereal or That's detached right. enough. <laughs> yeah, and the Buddhism has to you know so spiritual and all yeah. about the philosophical discourses. <laughs> but but the uh, but I think you know through the efforts of scholars in the past 20, 30 years or so. I think you know more and more people come to terms with uh, the Buddhist materiality. So, so, so I think that would be a kind of a few aspects that I would yeah. encourage our our listeners or you know people who ever you know whoever is interested in Buddhism yeah. to take. Yeah. yeah. Well, with with that said, uh, um, Dr. Lin, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Sure, sure. This was uh, this was really cool. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you so much. 
and thank you for listening to this episode of The Tell. Until next time. Hey everybody. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to help me talk to more people in more places, please consider donating. You can do so on my Patreon as a recurring donor, as well as on my website if you'd rather do a one-time donation. The links are patreon.com slash sebastianweatherby and www.sebastianweatherby.com. Show notes are also available on my website, where you can find citations and comments and other relevant information about the things we talked about today. Thanks again for listening.